Amen. Amen. I want to invite you guys to go ahead and open with me to the book of Exodus, where this morning we're going to begin a new series. So Exodus chapter 1. Exodus chapter 1. In this series we're going to be looking at or calling uh, Exodus, or experiencing our Exodus, uh, so that we all, hopefully by the end of the series, can truly say that we have experienced in our lives a deliverance from God through Jesus Christ. And so in this time, as we are uh, opening the word, our, our hope and our prayer is that truly God's word will be able to speak to us in a brand new way through this book. And this morning, uh, I just want to go ahead and invite you to spend just a moment in prayer with me as we pray and invite the, the Spirit to, just to speak through us through his word. Father, we love you, and we thank you for this time. We thank you for the time we've already been able to worship you in spirit and in truth. And God, I pray that you would do absolutely amazing things through your word and in our hearts and in our lives today. God, we come with anticipation, with excitement, and Lord, we ask that you would meet us here and that through us, Lord, you would be glorified. We pray this in the name above every other name, the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, as we begin this series, uh, I know one of the first questions that might be on your minds, so we're looking at the story of Exodus. You may be wondering just how long we're going to be going through uh, this series. Let me go ahead and begin by just sharing with you uh, that it took the Israelites 40 years. So hopefully it doesn't take us quite 40 years to get through a series on the book of Exodus. Uh, that was a joke in case you didn't get it. Uh, you can laugh about that. Uh, but all joking aside, seriously, this morning as we begin uh, this series, uh, the plan is to spend the next couple of months following uh, the accounts that we find in Exodus. Exodus is uh, one of my favorite books from the Old Testament. It is a dramatic uh, and awesome story. Uh, it's a revolutionary movement where we see the promise-keeping God, who is Yahweh, who delivers his enslaved people from their oppressors. But even more so, he brings them out of their sin and into freedom through a covenant with him. This book speaks to themes such as liberation and sacrifice, God's presence, servitude, and worship, and overall the larger theme of God's mission for all creation. And as we begin this series together, we're going to see these several themes that are played out throughout God's Word, not only here in Exodus, but throughout the entirety of His Word. And I hope that we'll be able to just begin this morning with the beauty that uh, the book of Exodus, although it is a true historical account, it's even more so something that we can soak in uh, this morning. It's not just a history lesson, uh, but it's also our story. What I mean by that is it's symbolic. It points to the exodus that we as well can experience. And so uh, that has really been my prayer and, and my hope throughout this, that we can all confidently say that we've experienced uh, the exodus of our uh, freedom and our deliverance into a, a covenant with the Father through Jesus Christ. And this morning, uh, we begin this series with part one. This is the, the first part, the introduction, week one. Uh, and we're going to be looking at embracing God's mission. Embracing God's mission. And now, whenever we dig into God's word, this is something that we need to keep in mind. 
This is something that we've addressed in the past because it's important. I think we should continue to address it. And this is that God's uh, mission is from eternity to eternity that he is working to bring all nations to himself. From eternity, from the beginning until the end, God is working forever to be bringing all people to himself. And so as we uncover truths from God's word, we should spend time acknowledging that this is the mission with which he is on. And so every action that God reveals of himself to us, every extent of his grace to us, is working ultimately to bring about his praise from his people. And it's really beneficial that we really allow this to be our biblical framework, that as we spend time uh, in God's word, we're reminded of his mission, that he, he is working through his people. And the value of knowing that is knowing that as the church, we are a part of this mission, that God wants us to be on mission with him. And so everything that we do then should be hinged on trying to bring others, trying to bring every nation into a relationship with God. And so church, this morning I want to encourage you that missions is not just limited to the Great Commission. That missions is not just uh, the book of Acts or even the New Testament, but, the, but God's mission is seen throughout the entire book of the Word. And with that uh, being said, something that we, we see here in Exodus is God's mission from the very beginning as it's going to be played out before us. He is working to reveal himself to everyone. And so this morning, the encouragement we have is that there is nothing greater, there is no greater purpose that you can live with than to personally know God and to make him known to others. So I hope that that will be the very reason uh, this morning that you find motivation for continuing on in, in everyday living is to bring glory to God, to exalt him, to lift up his name, and to share his name with those around us, as we truly just sang that we would build our life upon Jesus. And as we get now into Exodus chapter 1, I want to just encourage you for a moment to look at the very first word that you see. Look in the Bible, and what's the very first word you see in Exodus chapter 1, verse 1? Say it aloud real quick. What's the first word? Now, for those of you who are at home who are actually participating and following along, the chances are that you said one of these two words. You either said now or you said these. Most likely, those are the two words uh, that begin. But the truth is, is that there is actually a Hebrew word which is missing from most English translations. They, most of them drop this word and they begin with now uh, or these. But the word that's used here is the Hebrew conjunction. It begins the whole story with the word and. And for most of you who are any decent at all in English, know that you're not supposed to begin a sentence, let alone a story, with the word and. But what we see here is that it may not be a big deal to you, but really this word and informs us that Exodus is a part of a bigger story. That it is a part of a bigger uh, picture. You see, in many ways, Exodus is really like part two of Genesis. It is the sequel to the story we find in Genesis. And uh, with this, the, the whole book of Exodus then needs to be read in light of what we find taking place in the story of Genesis. 
And I know that most of us are, are very familiar with Genesis, and so I won't spend a long time uh, going through every single detail, but I do want to address a couple of things, just a few important uh, details that really remind us of where God uh, has been moving from the beginning. And this will allow us to better see how God's mission is being played out in Exodus chapter 1. So firstly, in Genesis 1, we see uh, with the creation account, the first command that is given to man. The first command given to man is to be fruitful, to multiply, and to fill the earth. And so again, that is in line with God's eternal plan. That makes sense. The goal here is to fill the earth with image-bearing worshipers who will know God, who will fear him, and who will serve him freely. And what we see later on is the result of the fact that we have free will. We have the freedom to choose uh, to pursue and to worship God. Well, the result is the fall of man. This is where man disobeys God, and therefore sin and death are introduced into the earth. And we learn that sin, it drives a wedge between the relationship of God and man. It separates us ultimately from his holiness and the perfection of our creator. And sin, as we discover throughout the early chapters of Genesis, we discover that it is contagious. That every single person has been affected by the fall. Everyone sins. It's almost like it's our nature to serve ourselves rather than to find ourselves serving our God. And so the effects of sin, they play out to the point that the earth is filled entirely, almost completely, almost every single person is not a worshiper, they serve themselves. If you think about that for just a moment, that is literally the opposite of what God's mission is. It's the opposite. The earth filled with sinners rather than worshipers. And so in chapters 12, 15, and 17, we see that God works through a man named Abraham to bring about an amazing promise to all nations, to all people. Abraham is the man who is called into a covenant with God. He's called to follow him and to know him and to obey him faithfully. And God's promise here to Abraham is three key things. Firstly, to Abraham, he promises that Abraham would be a great nation, that his descendants would be as numerous as the stars in the sky. And uh, we see, secondly, that Abraham's family would then inherit a promised land, that they would inherit the land of Canaan, which would have been a wonderful thing for them. But thirdly, and most importantly, is that God's promise was, through Abraham, a seed would come. A seed would be born. A descendant would come and would crush the head of Satan. That through Abraham, a Savior would come that would redeem God's people where the effects of sin and death no longer have a hold on us. And that's something that is uh, completely exciting for all of us. This is something that we celebrate regularly. This is Jesus. And uh, if we fast forward then from the story of Abraham into the last real big story that we see in the book of Genesis, this is as God's promise to Abraham was under threat. It was being put in the way of danger. And this is because of a severe famine that had broken out. 
And as the famine had, had, had come, ultimately it led almost every single Israelite, God's people, the descendants of Abraham, it led them into a position where they were dying off. And so uh, God works out through one of Abraham's descendants, Joseph, to be able to bring about safety to the people, to continue to uphold his promise through Abraham. We see that Joseph, he finds safety by rising up in the ranks in Egypt, working eventually as the, basically the prime minister under Pharaoh. And from a dream that's given to Pharaoh by God, Joseph later convinces Pharaoh to gather grain for the years of good gathering and good harvest so that Egypt then, uh, during the bad years, during the famine, could be spared. They could be saved, and they could in turn be able to feed those around them. And what we see is that through God's provision here, uh, Joseph was able to bring his family into the land of Egypt. He was able to bring his family safely into a place where they could be taken care of. And not only that, but they were respected as well. This is a fantastic story. It takes place all the way from Genesis chapter 37 through Genesis chapter 50. And I'm not spending too much time on this. Uh, hopefully, I would encourage you, if you have the time this week, to just spend a little bit of time reading through this. To really read through the stories. And what this will do is it will help fill in the gaps for you of the and that is between Genesis and Exodus. This is the story. This is why we see part two beginning with the word and. It follows up what had just taken place in Genesis. Now that's about as brief a recap as I can do over the book of Genesis. There's a lot that we missed there, so that's why I encourage you to read that in your own time. But what we find from the ending of Genesis is that 400 years has now passed. 400 years later, at the beginning of Exodus, the promise of God is faithful. God is keeping his promise, which he promised through Abraham, through the life of Joseph, and through his descendants as well. And so let's pick up our reading in Exodus chapter 1, verses 5 through 7 together. Verses 5 through 7. And this is what we read. All the descendants of Jacob were 70 persons. Joseph was already in Egypt. Then Joseph died, and all his brothers, and all that generation but the people of Israel were fruitful, and they increased greatly. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong, so that the land was filled with them. And this morning, what we are going to follow is just three brief points to embracing God's mission, as we see them played out here in the story of Exodus chapter 1. And the first point for us this morning comes from these verses we just read. And this is number one, that God's mission moves through his provision. God's mission moves through his provision. And if you notice again uh, the location, w w notice with me the location of uh, the Israelites. Where were they located at this time? Well, the story begins, they are in Egypt. They're in Egypt. Uh, and honestly, when we think of Egypt... When we associate Israel being, or the Israelites being in Egypt, we often associate it in a negative light. We think of Egypt and we think of captivity and slavery. That's not where the story began. In fact, as we look at it here, this was the place that God had provided for Joseph and for his family, the Israelites, 
to find security, to find shelter, to find safety. And so there are many things that you can see throughout Genesis 37 to Exodus 1 that will help you to better point to God's providential plan for his people, how he provides, how he makes provision for them. I think of something very specific, and this is that from a young age, Joseph was given a gift of, of being able to interpret the meaning of dreams, something that he had no idea why it would be beneficial to him in the future. And God uses this gift to later put on Pharaoh's heart a dream that would trouble him severely, a dream that nobody else would be able to interpret but Joseph. This isn't a coincidence, but we know that this is God's providence, that God is uh, taking care, he's protecting and providing for his people uh, for the good of them. And it would be through God's provision that Joseph would then rise up into this power position and leadership in Egypt. And throughout this position, he would arrange for his family to be able to survive the famine and ultimately have a future in Egypt. And this is a good thing. Again, don't associate right now in this moment Egypt in a negative way. This was a good thing. This was a very good position for them to be. This is where God had providentially led Joseph and his family. You see, uh, through the famine, they would survive, but Joseph, uh, they, would be ex- they would be spared. And the truth is, because of how Joseph responded, because of his ability to interpret the dream of Pharaoh, we see that uh, Joseph ends up rising up, not only in his position, but in respect. That those in Egypt respected and honored Joseph. And because of this, they welcomed in his family, as well. They respected him uh, and they welcomed the family in and we see that because of that God's mission is moving through his provision. And the truth is this isn't just something we see here in Exodus but this is something that we see played out in our lives as well. That God works his mission through providing for his people. Paul writes of this in Philippians chapter 4 verse 19. He says, "In my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory, in Christ Jesus. This is a promise to all of those who are found in Christ Jesus, all those who belong to him, that God will supply, that he will provide every single need that we have. And his provisions here, they belong to those who abide in Christ. That those who abide in Christ are the ones who have their needs supplied. And as this happens, it is not just the blessing that we experience for our own sake, but God uses his provision in a way that we in turn are able to bless those around us. See how that works? God provides provision. He provides for us. He blesses us by meeting our needs so that we in turn can meet the needs of those around us. What we're doing is revealing God's grace to the people that we encounter This is what Joseph was able to do in his very rare circumstance. That he was able to reach those in Egypt, not just bringing his own family into safety and security, but also helping the nation of Egypt to prosper. God was using Joseph to better Egypt. And that's amazing to see that taking place here, uh, that they all were able to benefit from God's provision. And we find here in verse 6 
that through the course of 400 years, there was a family of 70 that multiplies into a nation of over 1 million people. That's awesome. In the course of 400 years, God is multiplying the Israelites. You see, the truth is God still works through his provisions today. That he still works through the church to build up the body, to grow and to multiply the church by meeting those who are in Christ's needs. By the, the storehouse of his abundant riches and glory. That's amazing. God is able to reach into our lives and through the lives of those around us. And so we see God's mission does move through his provision. But secondly, this morning we see also, as we move out of the life of Joseph and into the life of his descendants 400 years later, that God's mission, secondly, God's mission moves through our pain. God's mission moves through our pain. In verses 8 through 14, we see a dramatic shift in the relationship between the Israelites and Egypt. And this shift is so dramatic that this is why we often associate Egypt with the captivity in this negative way. Because at first, as I said, it wasn't such a bad thing. Joseph's family was held in high regard. But there is a change here that takes place, a 180-degree transformation that leads the people to no longer being honored, no longer being respected by Pharaoh, but by a new Pharaoh, they're unknown, they're unwanted, and they're oppressed. And the reason that this, tra that this transition takes place here is because of the change of leadership over the course of 400 years. There are so many factors that, that lead to this, but ultimately, what we read in verse 8 is what takes place and in verses 8 through 10, we'll read together. Now there arose a new king over Egypt, who did not know Joseph. And he said to the people, Behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply. And if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us. Or they escape from the land. Now, over the course of a long period of time, as a new pharaoh arises into power, uh, for a number of unknown possible reasons, this pharaoh has no knowledge of Joseph. No knowledge that he was able, uh, by God's provision, to provide prosperity to the people in Egypt. So this new pharaoh has no knowledge, no respect, but instead he is, as we see, paranoid. And the interesting thing is that Pharaoh's concern uh, here is with his own people, but he's concerned with his people because of those who are around him, the Israelites. As he says, they are growing too many in number and too mighty in their power. And you know, this wouldn't necessarily be a problem. It shouldn't have to be a problem except for someone who is paranoid because of their pride. Someone who is paranoid because of their pride. And the truth is that when you are hinged on building up your own kingdom, when you are centering all of your time and energy and effort into bringing attention to yourself, then this sort of pride leads to irrational behavior. Behavior like we see Pharaoh carry out throughout this entire story. And this is a truth I think that we can all relate to. I know we often try to relate ourselves to the Israelites, but honestly, this morning, we don't have to be a Pharaoh 
to act like Pharaoh. Though we at times can all live in such a, a level of pride that we're so self-serving that everything we do, we're bringing attention to ourselves for our glory, for our pleasure, serving ourselves, and we end up treating others in the process harshly. We treat those around us poorly. We deal with them shrewdly. You see, we begin to form habits where we push people away or we begin to belittle them to make ourselves feel bigger and stronger. And in the process, we often miss out on the kinds of relationships that God wants to bless us with. Think about that for a moment. Israel could, could have continued to be blessing Egypt. God could have continued to use Israel to bless Egypt with prosperity. But instead, because of Pharaoh's paranoia, he pushes away the relationship. He drives a division between the people. And God no longer is able to reveal himself by his grace through the Israelites because Pharaoh is pushing them away. But what we learn is that whether Pharaoh would honor God and God's people, or whether he was going to deal with them harshly, one thing would be certain, and that is that God would reveal himself to them. That God was going to reveal himself to Pharaoh no matter what. And here's something that we all need to learn. This is crucial for all of us. That we all will either encounter God as our Savior, or we're going to encounter him as our judge. No matter what, you will be known before God, and you will encounter him. And either he'll be the one who provides the path for your way, or he'll be the one who stands in your way, serving yourself. And so Pharaoh deals harshly with the Israelites because of his pride, because he's paranoid on serving himself and building his own name. And then he begins to inflict heavy Burdens. He begins to inflict pain on the people of Israel. We see that they were forced into very oppressive slavery. They were forced into building cities to store up Pharaoh's wealth. Their lives, they were made bitter with very hard service. They were whipped by Pharaoh's taskmasters. And the reason was so that they would learn that their new role was not to be free, but to be a servant. Egypt. And what we learn of the increasing pain that takes place here, what we read in verse 12 is something that's awesome. Verse 12 tells us this, that the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied. And the more they spread abroad. This is interesting that through the face of persecution, the nation is growing. The very thing that Pharaoh is afraid of here is happening more and more. They are multiplying. And this teaches us that those who are on mission with God, that you will often endure persecution, you will often endure pain, but in the pain we can draw closer in our covenant, in our relationship with God. And as he is glorified, we are multiplied. And that's awesome. That's amazing. We should be encouraged by that as a church. This is a truth that we see all throughout the Bible. Think of the church in Acts in, in the New Testament. And what takes place there is that as they endured persecution and as they were forced and scattered abroad, it ended up leading to the church multiplying. 
to reaching other nations, to reaching new people, to bringing the message of Jesus saving to new people who were lost, who didn't know God. That's awesome. That in the face of pain and through persecution, God is glorified and the church is multiplied. Summit Fellowship, I tell you guys that because I want to be a church that's a part of that. And I'm not saying here that, that we intentionally are walking out into harsh times and, and, and expecting and hoping for people to be treating us poorly. But this means that when we endure persecution, when we are in the face of pain, that we seek to draw closer to God. That we seek for him to be glorified. And when it happens, we will continue to grow. And as we grow, God will be glorified by more and more hearts more and more people, new, new nations, new tongues being reached through the work that God is doing through his provision and through the pain that we experience. And through all of this, we see that it's working to fulfill God's global mission. That God's mission is still moving. And you know, maybe this is something that you're enduring right now. Maybe this is something that you are experiencing is pain. And you feel like you're walking in God's will. You're still enduring hardship. Life is still uneasy. It's difficult. It's hard. People are treating you poorly because of your faith. You're being tested with things that you can't understand the reason why. Maybe it's not the ideal place that you want to be suffering in. Maybe it makes no sense to you. I want to encourage you that through the pain, by drawing closer to God, you'll find true comfort. And in his presence, where you find comfort, he is going to be glorified. We'll be comforted, he'll be glorified, and the church will multiply. That's awesome. That's exciting. And I hope that we see the situation that we're even in right now. Maybe the pain, whatever it is that you are enduring, that you see that it is something that can lead to God's mission being fulfilled in you. And embrace that. Grab a hold of that. Let that become your life's purpose. And notice with me uh, that as the pain and the affliction surround us, so does the temptation to run from God. Run away from God instead of running to Him. Temptation to lose heart and to give up your faith, to give in to those who are pressing you. And the faith that was experienced by the Israelites here it made their lives severely bitter. But they didn't lose faith. They didn't give up heart. And because of that, what we learn this morning is thirdly, that God's mission moves through our obedience. God's mission moves through our obedience. See, as Pharaoh was oppressing the Israelites more severely and they were multiplying more and more rapidly, so Pharaoh has to come to a new effort. He has to take a new approach in trying to solve what he finds to be his problem. In verse 15 through 17, we read of what happens here. Let's read together. Then the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was named Shifra and the other Pua, when you serve as a midwife to the Hebrew women and see them on the birth stool, if it is a son, you shall kill him. But if it is a daughter, she shall live. But the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them. But let the male children live. 
So this is Pharaoh's plan. And notice here something that's interesting, that throughout the whole story, we're only informed of the name Pharaoh. We don't know who this is. We're not given his, his whole name. Only Pharaoh or the king of Egypt. But here, two Hebrew midwives, two Hebrew women were given their names. It's interesting, isn't it? I'll let you think on that uh, on your own in later time. But we see that these women, Shifra and Pua, they're given the order to carry out uh, this mass form of ancient abortion. But as they find uh, that their women who they are serving, uh, these Hebrew women, as they are giving birth to a woman or, or to a child, if the child is a boy, then they are to kill him. If the child is a girl, then they can let him live. And so uh, these midwives are expected to do this because this is Pharaoh's decree. And he's made it very clear that they learn to serve him as he has inflicted severe pain on them. And the goal here, Pharaoh's hope, is to try to kill off a generation of males, to try to slow down the population of the Israelites, to ultimately prevent his kingdom from being put in harm's way. And while this is completely wicked, notice that it's contrary to God's global mission to end population rather than continue multiplying and filling the earth. But what we see is while Shifra and Pua, while they were uh, commanded by one of the most powerful, powerful people on the earth at the time, while they were commanded by the most powerful man in Egypt, uh, the king, Pharaoh, to hold up this sinful decree, we see that their fear of God is greater than their fear of man. We should learn from this, that in the face of pain, in the face of persecution, in the face of hardship, to turn to God rather than to bow down to man. And through this, what we see revealed is the faith, the faith of these two midwives, that it was secure in God, that they trusted, even through the difficult times, that God was doing something amazing, that he was going to be providing their deliverance. And it came here through uh, their obedience. And so they encouraged, uh, or so they courageously they disobey uh, Pharaoh's orders. And they remain obedient to God. And the result we find is in 20, uh, verse 20 and 21, and we'll read those together. We see, so God dealt with the midwives, and the people multiplied. And they grew very strong. And because the midwives feared God, they gave, he gave them families. This is uh, absolutely amazing. This is awesome to see taking place here. Uh, this is now the third time that we see that God has multiplied Israel in the course of this one chapter. The third time now God has multiplied the nation which he promised to bless took place first through God's provision, making a way through Joseph in Egypt. We see that it also happened through their pain. As they endured hardship, they still multiplied. We also see here it was because and through their obedience. The obedience brought about uh, the fulfillment of God's mission. It continued to grow and work toward his mission. And so despite everything that Pharaoh the enemy was trying to do here. And God's mission was continuing. The nation of Israel was growing. 
this morning, as we look at this chapter in its entirety, as we have just looked at chapter 1 together, and I wonder if as we spend time in our daily lives, if we truly are looking and investing our efforts and energy in trying to give thanks to those areas where God has made provision for us. Are we truly faithful in looking for the areas where God has paved our way? Where he has provided for us time and time again, even those times where we did not expect it, and even the things that we take for granted, like food and water? And do we look to the things that God is doing and how he is providing for us? And do we see that blessing? And are we in turn led to trying to bless others around us? Is that our response when we give thanks? It's God, I'm so thankful that you have provided for me. I'm so thankful for your provision. Lord, use me now in the abundance of what you have given me to bless others. Father, use me so that I can be your tool to fulfill your mission, to reach others, to show them your grace. I also wonder as we experience pain and persecution, while we're walking in the will of God, we experience hardship and difficult times, but we remaining steadfast in our faith. Do we trust that the same God who has delivered us and provided for us in the past is going to continue to provide for us in the future? Do we remain faithful? Do we fix our eyes on Jesus and seek to glorify him through our affliction? In doing so, uh, trust me, in, in doing that, when someone sees someone have joy who is enduring persecution, it displays the gospel to them. It shows them that there is comfort, that there is hope in the trials of life that's found in God. So we continue the, the mission that God is working. And, and finally this morning, uh, does your faith in Jesus lead you to true obedience? Are you willing to not bow down to the things of the world that are around you, even when it's easier to bow down to those things? Are you trusting obediently in the Lord? Are you turning from those things of the world to experience the freedom that he offers? This morning, I want to challenge you as we begin, and this is the start of our series we're looking at, Experiencing Our Exodus. This morning, I challenge you to embrace God's mission, to embrace it, to truly let it change the motivation, the reason that you live, that you would live with a desire to know God on a deeper level, to make him known to those who are around you. What we find is here in Exodus and throughout the entire word of God, that God's mission is the heartbeat of the scriptures. And as we take God's word in, and we allow it to, to fill our hearts, it can become our heartbeat and our purpose as well. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. God, we are so thankful for your word and for the truth that it speaks to us this morning. And Lord, I pray that you would do something amazing in our lives. God, that you would speak to us with a new level of clarity, that you would reveal yourself and your grace to us personally. 
And Father, I pray that you would lead us to be intentional to look at the ways that you have provided for us so abundantly. God, I am thankful that for those who are found in Christ Jesus, that every single one of our needs are met by your abundant glory, by your riches, which are eternal. God, continue to provide for us. Lord, I pray that we would not be selfish, that we would not be proud as Pharaoh was, but when we have had our needs met, that we would seek to draw closer to you and to meet the needs of those who are around us. Lord, we want to be your church who is on fire for your mission. Lord, we want to have a hope that we live with, the purpose that we live with, of making your name known, of bringing glory to you. Father, please use us. And even through the pain that we endure, God, help us to trust. Help us to express such deep levels of faith that we are willing to not bow down to the enemy, to not give in in the face of affliction, but to faithfully obey you and to glorify you, to know that we will be multiplied. We thank you for this promise. We thank you for this hope. And Lord, would you allow your spirit to guide us into obedience of your word. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.